the farther we remove ourselves from humus, the harder it is to be human. Joel Salatin believes that in order to best understand ourselves and build healthy cultures, we need to understand how nature works and how we relate to it. Joel Salatin is my featured guest on this episode of Seek Wisdom. When I began thinking about a farmer I'd like to interview, about what we can learn from the metaphor, life as a garden, Joel Salatin was the first person that came to mind. In the late 1990s, our family was living in the suburbs of Fort Worth, Texas, and I developed a desire to have my own little farmstead in our backyard. We cleared the brush, planted a big garden, and built a chicken coop for a dozen barred rock hens. The garden was therapy for me, and I was always tempted to spend more time in it than maybe I should have. Very long story short, all of that developed into an interest to move our family to the Virginia countryside and live in more harmony with nature than it felt possible to do in the suburbs. As I researched that idea, at some fateful point I came across the book You Can Farm by Joel Salatin and became a student of his controversial take on what good farming looks like. In 2001, we loaded up the truck and moved to Madison County, Virginia, and I had some opportunities to interact with Joel on his polyface farm and learn from him in person. Joel's had quite a journey over the course of his farming career. He's been featured in bestsellers like The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan, appeared in award-winning documentaries like Food, Inc., been featured in Smithsonian Magazine, and had opportunities to speak at places like Google Headquarters. His farm in Swope, Virginia, services 5,000 families, 50 restaurants, and 10 retail outlets. He's authored 12 books and writes a blog at thelunaticfarmer.com. I recently flew into Richmond, Virginia, and drove out to the beautiful Shenandoah Valley, where Joel's farm is located. We sat down together at a picnic table on a hot August day under the welcome shade of some willow trees. Joel sported his usual suspenders, straw hat, and a layer of dirt and debris from a project he'd stepped away from for our interview. During the interview, an occasional breeze was a welcome reprieve from the heat, but it did wreak some havoc on my microphones. You'll notice a few shifts in sound quality where we did our best to remove the wind's attempt to get in on our interview. I hope you'll enjoy the discussion and that it will give you some good food for thought in your own pursuit of wisdom. I'm here with Joel Salatin, author, speaker, and someone who's been called the most famous farmer in the world. Thank you, Joel, for allowing me <laughs> to visit you here at your farm today for this interview. It's a, it's a privilege. Thank you. It's great to have you. Let's start with what prompted this interview. I recently wrote a children's book entitled A Good Life. In it, an orphan boy sets out on a journey to find a good life and meets 10 different people along the way who each give him a different metaphor for life. The first person he meets is a farmer who tells him, quote, life is a garden. Its soil can sprout forth both good and bad plants with equal opportunity for both to thrive. It is up to us to pull and cast away the weeds and to plant, water, and nurture the good things that we desire to grow, end quote. So I'm curious, uh, is there any part of that quote that resonates with you most at this stage in your farming, gardening, and, and life experience? <laughs> Yeah, I, I would say the one that resonates most is just the fact that you have to participate. I think we live in a time when, um, when many people either, either feel their participation doesn't make any difference mm -hmm. or things are so dysfunctional that th there's no use to participate mm -hmm. or it's beyond hope to participate. And so, uh, you know, a, a garden's a lot of little things. Yeah, I mean, it is a, it is a big thing. But most good gardeners uh, don't spend hours and hours at it. They, but, but what's key is to spend 30 minutes a day. Right. And I think that that is, is a great um, metaphor for life, that 
it does respond to participation. You can't just check out. You know, no, no frog wakes up on the edge of the pond in the morning and says, you know, I don't think I'm going to participate today. <laughs> and yet there's a lot of that in our culture. That's true. You know, we, a lot of checking out. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. In the food sphere, for example, right now, I think the statistic is that 80% of Americans have no idea at 4 o'clock what they're going to eat for dinner. Hmm. And yet, and yet, those same people are very aware of whatever's happening in the Kardashian household. <laughs> right. I, I mean, it's not that we're, not, we're not, not aware of things. It's it's what we choose to be aware of. Right. And and so, you know, participating in this great creation stewardship is a, just a wonderful, a wonderful thing. And and along with that, there's a lot of thinking in the radical environmental movement that we shouldn't participate. That we should abandon. Uh, the environment, we should, you know, get away from it. And so our participation, like a garden, can either be helpful or abusive. So that's interesting you bring that up because you you sort of find yourself, I think, just from experiencing you over the years and the things that I've heard you say and, and things that I've read of yours, you're almost in this no man's land where you, you don't you don't fit in the broader culture that has, has checked out and is watching the Kardashians. Right, right. But the people that you would think you would fit more with, which the environmentalist types, uh, uh, uh. have a problem with you just because of the, of your, uh, the way you orient to the land and the way you think about it. So I, I know there's probably some loneliness there and frustration there, sort of life on the edge of both of those. Well, yeah, it is. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's plus a negative. I, you know, I'm, I'm disliked by many in the, you know, in the conservative religious right who view me as as a you know tree hugger you know what's what's the matter with genetically modified organisms and you know right. are you against science are you against you know dominance and blah 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 right. and then of course I irritate the other side by suggesting that the answer is not always a government agency right and that uh, you know, business is not necessarily worse than a bureaucrat right. Uh, can both wreak yeah, havoc. yeah, yeah, absolutely, and so that, that's why you know several years ago uh, in this in this uh, yeah you're right this no man's land, I took this self-ascribed moniker, uh, and now I get introduced every you know when I go and speak at conferences and stuff. This is my is my official introduction is uh, a Christian libertarian environmentalist capitalist lunatic. <laughs> and, you, you give that so that everybody will hate you before you start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, well, well, so it so it just says. You know, don't don't stereotype me. You know, don't right. don't put me in that don't put me in that box, because we do we do like our pigeonholes. They're comfortable. Uh, you know, I wrote this uh, book uh, three or four years ago, "The Marvelous Pigness of Pigs," mm-hmm. and it's basically a, a conservative Christian's environmental ethic. Hmm. And you know, in there, I, I I say, why is it that if I ask, do we have to use styrofoam at the potluck? Can we use dishes? from the thrift store and wash them. Mm-hmm. What are you, some kind of commie pinko tree hugger? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, yes, there, there is both of that. And yes, that's the bad part. But the good part is it's also a, it's also a big bridge. You know, it, it's a bridge sure. to both groups as mm-hmm. well. And uh, I mean, everybody eats. And so it's a, it's a big tent. You know, I've, I've been able to speak, you know, twice at UC Berkeley, Yale, Princeton, Harvard, Rutgers, most Christians don't get to go in and share a pro-life stance there. Yeah, it's and, not, not and, your Christian hat that no, you're wearing no, prominently. No. And, 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 but, but I do unapologetically. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing is I don't get booed. It's interesting. Because I think it's because they've not met a Christian who is willing to wrestle with these thornier issues of stewardship. How shall we then care for God, what, what's God's return on investment? You know, right. a, a dead zone, a dead zone the size of Rhode Island is probably not a good return on investment for God's no. creation. No. So, so you know, being and I don't have all the answers. Don't even begin to think. But, but I think we should wrestle with them. Yeah. We should at least wrestle with them. I like I like the wrestling metaphor, and I like people that that don't fit anywhere because I, I feel like I'm one of those as well. And I think that the, the types that's, that 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 stay on the edges in a sense um, yes. are are bridges uh, of these of these different camps. It's almost like we we walk around on the edges of the pigeonholes and and we're looking into all of them and going, hey, there, there's actually something over here that you guys have to offer here. Yes. And and so um, even though it can be a lonely and frustrating place sometimes, uh, I think there's a place for us. And uh, so I'm I, I'm glad you're one of those. <laughs> um, well, there are a few things I learned from you, Joel, that that have really stuck with me for some reason, and I think they'd be fruitful topics uh, for this discussion of, of life as a garden. 
Uh, I believe uh, I may have read the first one in one of your books, and here's the basic idea. You said that when you buy a farm, don't immediately start making changes mm -hmm. to the land, like putting a pond here, clearing some trees there in order to make things the way you think you want them. Instead, you suggested that people walk around on and get to know their farms for about a year before they make any major changes. I think you even suggested walking around when it rains, snows, mm -hmm. etc., to, to see how that particular piece of land responds to various kinds of weather, water runoff, microclimates, uh, that's a fun idea all by itself, <laughs> uh, et cetera. Why do you give that, that kind of advice? Well, uh, because it, it's, so, uh, it's so easy to run in you know, with our agenda, if you will. You know, the, the land, the ecology is a, lot, is a lot bigger than our agenda. And this is a permaculture concept. You know, Bill Mollison really introduced me to that that idea and said you should carry a notebook visit visit your place i mean this is even before you move there okay visit it every month 12 months and just walk it and i mean for example see where wet spots are well that's not where we want to put a road mm -hmm. you know see where the frost pockets are well that's not where you want to put an orchard <laughs> see see where the, the the dry spots are you know that's where you're going to want to add maybe some extra compost mm -hmm. You know, there are actually there are actually tunnels of warm air and cool air, just like rivers of water across a landscape. There are there are rivers of warm and cool air. Interestingly, we have one here on our farm that I'm at least one that I'm very familiar with. It runs down along a road that we have. Interestingly, that road is lined with old apple trees, hmm. and I can't help but think somebody long time ago, you know, maybe in the 20s or 30s, when they planted those trees, they were aware of that warm tunnel of air, mm. and so it was. It, they're not frost prone. Even though it's in kind of low ground, that tunnel of air, and you can go out on any crisp spring morning or, or evening or fall, you know, when it's change of seasons. Mm -hmm. On the edges, we call it the, you know, the shoulders of the season. You can go out there. I mean, you, you can't tell it in the summer, you don't feel it. In the winter, you don't feel it either. But on the edges, on the shoulders of the season, that's when you feel that tunnel. Mm. And it's about, you know, it's about 50 feet wide, hmm. and it's just, it's just a tunnel of warm air. Um, and that's where, that's where the old timers planted the apple trees. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in, um, and this is not mystical, I'm not, you know, Gaia, creation, worship. But I think there is a lot of wisdom in letting the land and letting the ecology talk to us. Well, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's a powerful thing. He, the, the book of Job, um, you know, when Job is responding to, uh, to his friends, um, he says, ask the animals and they mm. will teach you, or yeah. the birds in the sky, they will yeah. tell you, or speak to the earth and it will teach you, yeah. uh, or let the fish in the sea inform you. I mean, that sounds like it could have been written by an environmentalist. It's someone who, who has a humble yeah. approach to learning from the creation. Right. Um, yeah. Even in the Proverbs, the idea of, you know, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. There's all kinds of things in Scripture that tell us that the creation is something that is, is designed to teach us something that we, we need to know. Sure. Well, I, I think that the physical creation is not some, you know, unspiritual, disembodied part of God's manifestation. I, mm -hmm. I, I think that the physical creation is actually uh, an object lesson of spiritual truth. Absolutely. So, so here at our farm, we're constantly asking, you know, say a visitor comes in, when they leave, when they drive out the lane, do they say things like, oh, so that's what forgiveness looks like. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's what abundance looks like. Oh, that's what um, mercy looks like, mm -hmm. you know, do, do they ask those kinds of questions? And, and I think, I think, uh, if I may go where angels fear to tread here quickly in the interview, um, I think that the way that that physical part of a farm speaks to you is going to be very different. For example, if the chickens are out on pasture versus confined in a factory confinement chicken house. There are different moral lessons or spiritual le object mm -hmm. lessons, if you will, that come from those kinds of those kinds of things. And so the question then is, so when I sit in my pew, mm -hmm. is what's on the menu reflective of what I of what I believe in the pew? You know, we say we say uh, we believe in being a good neighbor, for example, treat others in the golden rule, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the way you'd want to be treated. Well, you know, is polluting the water or stinking up the neighborhood, is that being neighborly? 
No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so what happens is you begin, as you go down this path, and I'm not interested in, you know, starting a new cult or anything like that, but when you wrestle with this, you start appreciating, wow, the God who knows the hairs of your head and when a sparrow falls and the lilies of the valley are adorned more beautiful than Solomon and all his glory, that God has a moral interest. He has a stake. He has a divine interest in, in what we do. Right. And the, and the creation isn't some sideshow. It's no. integral to the things that that we need to be taught and need to understand. Right. I mean, in Revelation 21, it says, you know, I will destroy those who destroy the earth. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts. I mean, when, when, the, when the Israelites, you know, came into the promised land, they could cut trees, but they weren't supposed to cut fruit trees. Mm-hmm. So God had a, he had a landscape plan. And I think it behooves us to, to come alongside, not intimidated, but actually you know, what people say, what, what floats your boat? What drives you? And I say, it's because I can step out that back door every day and have the honor and privilege of coming alongside God as creator and participatorily, I don't know if that's a word, participatorily. participatorily yeah, uh, we can but, make an ad but, but, that. Yeah. But at least it says, uh, <laughs> right. and, and participatorily caress this thing that was so beautiful that he made and created mm-hmm. and put us in. And to be able to participate in that, to caress it, and to massage it, and to to work alongside, that's pretty cool. It is. That's pretty cool. I, I didn't know whether we'd we'd end up this way, but since we did, um, you know, we're obviously both Bible readers. So the life as a garden metaphor is is a significant one for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible's account of humanity begins in a garden yep. planted by God Himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fall of humanity through disobedience results in our being cast out of that garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it was eating involved in that fall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the climax of the biblical story, Jesus spends the night before his crucifixion in a garden mm-hmm. in prayer to his father. Uh, after his resurrection, he's mistaken by Mary Magdalene as the gardener, mm-hmm. uh, which we know mm-hmm. in a greater sense he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, special thanks to my Old Testament professor, Doug Green, for that insight. <laughs> uh, finally, the story of the Bible ends with that vision of John Revelation, where mm-hmm. access to the tree of life is restored and the new heavens, the new earth. Uh, it provides healing to the nations. Uh, so the Christian worldview is strongly shaped by that idea of a garden. Yes. Uh, I guess we've already talked about what we make of that, um, seeing that as, as integral to uh, what we're meant to know and what we're meant to learn. You know, if I may say, just talk to, talk to parents and kids for a minute. One of the reasons that I'm such um, a proponent of children in gardens is because we live in a day and age now where video games dominate the average person's childhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, even in young adulthood. Right now, I think the statistic that I'm aware of is that the average American male between 25 and 35 spends 20 hours a week playing video games. That's the Mm -hmm. statistic right now. Not not women, but men. And the thing thing about a video game is that it's all fantasy. And the thing about a garden is it's real. It's all reality. You know, yeah. if, 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 <laughs> if the tomato plant dies, you don't press a button and get a new tomato plant. Hmm. You do on Minecraft, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. You do yeah. plant more yeah. square tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, that's, and, and, and I would suggest that that's a problem. Yeah. I would suggest that's a problem. You know, life is not some sort of a, a, a fantasy thing where, uh, where you mess up and you just can, can hit rewind and everything is okay. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the beauties of children in gardens, and, and this is being documented now, not by the Christian community, but by the, the nature principal, you know, Richard Love and other people. But there's, there's just an incredible spiritual element to children in gardens. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a life reality sense a common sense reality that this isn't just a game and and i think that it's from a from a a life affirmation standpoint i mean we've got all these you know murders and kids you know i mean look society is breaking down Mm -hmm. i think there's no question about that and and i can't help but think part of it is children don't have any chores they don't pull weeds in the green beans they don't they don't help can can the corn Mm -hmm. and gardening Food production is one of the most foundational and fundamental portions of, of family living, or at least yeah. it has been historically. Right. And, and so when you take away that very visceral, 
foundation of life, you unmoor children from their dependence mm -hmm. on something bigger than themselves. Right. And it moves our worldview toward being egocentric, self-centered. The, the, the universe revolves around me. The game revolves around me. When do I want to play? When do I want to stop? How many points have I scored? How many points have I not? But the whole universe revolves around me, whereas in a garden, I mean, one of the first things you realize in a garden is, you know, that seed sprouts without me doing very much. The, the weeds come, certainly, without me doing, without very, me doing much. very much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they don't disappear without me doing very much. They don't much, disappear, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the fruit doesn't get picked That's right. without me doing very much. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so we find that, that there's this, this incredibly awesome life theme messaging going on that's way beyond us. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's, that's the, one of the foundations of, of wisdom and common sense. So, so take this idea of, uh, you know, when you get a farm, you get a garden, you get a piece of property, be slow about how you get to know it and how you make changes to it. Mm. Apply that, uh, you know, metaphorically to the average person's life. What's the principle there um, that we need to think about? Uh, we, if we don't own a farm, but we're just yeah. approaching life, well, uh, maybe you need to um, know your romance before you say, I do. Mm. <laughs> that seems to be rather important, yes. Um, do, do, you, do some research. <laughs> do some <Yeah>. research. <laughs> I would say the slowing down of letting things develop, uh, try things. You know, so many times our institutional education, our schooling system is all set on find out as early as you can your, your life track. Mm -hmm. Get on it so you can get a job, you know, for somebody as opposed to, for one thing, letting children play right. and discover. That's, and then... And then to, to try a lot of things mm -hmm. you know, as a teen. One of, the, one of the big tragedies, again, we go to young people, to me is that we've taken all these, uh, these adult world interactive things that, that, that young people used to do, and we've called them exploitation and child abuse. And so kids hit 18, and they haven't had life experience delivering no. newspapers, stocking shelves, Whatever, and yet they think at 18 they've become this magical thing called an adult, and that all of a sudden they're going to have these privileges that a lot of times they're not even ready for because they haven't had that responsibility uh, previous to it. But they still have this magic idea of 18 means something special. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what I found, you know, yeah, in, yeah. Our, in our little microclimate <laughs> culture. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Ryan. yeah. That's right. <clears throat> so, also, the, I guess just this idea of of slowing down. Uh, as you approach a complex system and, and being humble. Right. Tell me, you don't seem to be a slow mover from all the experiences that I've had with you. You're a man of action. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing you might have learned that the hard way. Is it true or this idea of go slow and yeah. take some time? How did yeah. you? Well, you know, I, I, there's, there is a balance there. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, you, you can be, uh, look, it's as bad to be a milk toast at decision making, right? As it is to be attention. Uh, as as it as it is to be uh, overly uh, whatever knee jerk uh, mm -hmm. making decisions. If we want to look to societal structure, how many times do people get aggravated about something in society, and the first thing they want is I want a law, and um, you know a lot of times those quick government agencies and actions then become. They actually cause more trouble than, than sure. good. And uh, usually society on its own, whether it's the marketplace or philanthropy or awareness or whatever, changes and adapts to, the, to deal with the situation right. as it is. Even in, um, in business, I know several years ago, Tom Peters, uh, the management consultant, had this uh, phrase that he coined called management by walking around. And the idea was essentially if even in the corporate world, you need to be walking around and looking at your people, looking what's going on. You can't, you can't manage the complexities of a business at a, at a desk isolated from what's actually going on. So this idea of just wandering around and seeing what's happening over time is very important, that observant. And that. Absolutely, and, and it, it also affects like our, our decisions here at the farm. I, I think where I really uh, have really adapted this is don't jump off the cliff. Make small decisions. Do tests. Do mm -hmm. trial things first. You want to you try a new marketing scheme. You want to try a new messaging. You want to try a new whatever sales uh, technique. 
Well, we'll test it. And I'll tell you, today, the, the venture capitalists, I mean, who demand 10, 12 percent, 13, 14 percent return, the pressure that that puts on an innovative business yeah. is just is horrendous, mm -hmm. horrendous. And so what you do is you get over your skis. And for all for all the businesses that venture capitalists have helped to create, I wonder how many tragedies they've created by putting undue pressure. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the the tortoise the tortoise won the race, not the hare. That's a, that's a great the, the, the tortoise uh, fable for this principle yeah. here. Yeah. And, and, and so I ascribe to the to the idea that. Um, it's not about speed, it's about trajectory. If you're going the right direction, don't worry about how fast you're going. Mm -hmm. Just continue on. Plot on. Be, be, yeah, because mo most of life, <laughs> most of life is a slog. It is. Even most of gardening is a slog. So should I have put life as a slog in my children's book? <laughs> that doesn't market as well, Joel. No, it doesn't market okay, as well. Maybe I'll put that in volume two. Uh, I, th I think we usually uh, cover that up a little bit with saying things like uh, persistence. We do. And, uh... Well, I'm, I'll actually, I'm, I'm interviewing um, uh, Jonathan Bailey, who's, who's the uh -huh. uh, executive vice president of National Geographic uh, tomorrow uh -huh. on life as a journey. And right, so right. that's... The, the life as a life as a journey is probably the positive spin on life as a slog. Yeah, yeah, uh, so yeah. So we'll we'll see yeah. what Jonathan has to say about that tomorrow. <laughs> let's let's move to another of your insights that stuck with me. I think it was at one of your field days here at Polyface Farm. You said uh, there was an enormous amount, uh, enormous bank of seeds in our topsoil at any given time that are just waiting for the right conditions to germinate, sprout, and grow. You said some seeds can sit there for years in the soil just waiting for the right conditions. Uh, and that's why some years on a farm you have problems with thistles or other weeds uh, that won't show up other years. Uh, did I understand that, that correctly? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, um, I recently had the privilege of doing a conference in Australia with uh, Dr. Christine Jones, who is one of the foremost biological uh, agronomists in the, on the planet. She just went into this almost a uh, soliloquy thing about seeds, and it was just it was just so profound. I, you know, she's not a Christian or anything, as far as I know, but it was really profound the way she pointed this out. And, and it, it took this idea, A, of the seed bank in the soil. Yes, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of, of seeds in the soil waiting for the right conditions to germinate. And what, what she did, she said, I want you to consider, um, she said, I want you to consider the intelligence of a seed. Intelligence of a seed. So a clover, a, a red clover, for example, we know we've found unsprouted, but that will sprout red clover in the Egyptian tombs, the pyramids, okay? And they've taken a couple of them and, they, and they've sprouted, all right? Hmm. And so they're viable, we know they're viable. So she said, just imagine, just imagine you're a red clover seed and you know, you come up in the blossom, the bees fertilize you and, you know, and, and you're good. And then, and then the blossom dies and the seeds, you know, a cow doesn't eat you or whatever, but you, you know, you fall on the soil. And next spring, should I sprout? Uh, I don't think so, not this year. Hmm. Next spring, should I sprout? Uh, no, I don't think it's quite right this time. You see where this is going. Yeah. I'll say a hundred year, hundred years, a hundred springs. Nah, not quite right. Two hundred springs. 300, I'll, I'll abbreviate this for- This is you know, a, this to, a to picky get red clover seed, Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so, so we go on down and year 1,000, 1,000. You know, I think, I think this is a good year. This is it. This is, I'm gonna sprout this year. And that's just, when we talk about intelligence uh, the understanding of creation, I mean, the, the, uh, of God's infinite ability to put decision-making within his, his creation, within life, decision-making within life, um, that's just a profound, profound thought that these seeds are all out here. You know, it, it speaks to a couple of things. You know, one is that the, uh, that the soil should be closed. I mean, that's a very mm. visceral, ecological principle right. but that clean tillage and exposing soil is absolutely the most damaging thing that could ever be done uh, to the soil. And of course, you know, civilizations have risen and fall, fallen because, based because, on Is that because it messes up that seed bank? Is that, I mean, it exposes it rather than giving it the protection? No, the... It, 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 because it, it unclothes the soil. The reason the seed bank is there is so that no matter what the condition is, there's something there that will jump up and sprout and put vegetation on the soil. Right, okay. Put, put, and put, you know, biomass in. And of course, you know, 
uh, one of the things about tillage is that, that, that tillage is so unnatural that we spend a lot of time uh, trying to keep tillage. You know, if, if you're going to plant explain corn, tillage to the average. Yeah, you know, that, that means you're plowing. Okay, okay so, so you're so, taking so the if you're if you're going to if you're going to plant an annual, mm -hmm. so, so a plant like squash or watermelon or or, or whatever, you're going to have to somehow get rid of that sod, the, the, the lawn, the grass, the whatever, okay, right. out there. Now, you know, interestingly, what is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Paul Gauchi, who wrote yeah. Back to Eden, and he's developed a 12-inch a, a wood chip mulch system for gardening, but it does it with deep, deep mulch, hmm. uh, with, with perennial deep mulch. Hmm. So instead of tilling, you're simply adding carbon all the time, Okay, you know. On this, because it decomposes and, and you're goes clothing down. it more and more. You're clo yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how would you, if we're going to take this idea of of that that seed bank that's, mm -hmm. that's just waiting for the right conditions, apply that to the average person's life? What, how do how do we play with that metaphor uh, in our lives as a as a principle? Yeah, you know, I, I think cer certainly one would be ideas. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that that God doesn't want our mind, uh, our life stagnant. There there are all sorts of ideas and and. and um, and I would say, I would say the average person, you know, I do a lot of traveling and speaking, and I, I found, I find tremendous resonance in this idea that the average person does not allow themselves to dream. Hmm. You know, we, we grow up, we want to please mom and dad, then we want to please the teacher, we want to please the employer, we want to, you know, we want to please the preacher, we want to, oh, whatever, you know, uh, yeah. the, the president of the philanthropic club or the, the hmm. coach of the soccer team, or right? And, and, and we, we grow up, Essentially wrapped up in pleasing people. Now I don't want to get I don't want to get into rebellion here. Sure. That, that, there's that, another balance. There's another really. balance there, but but I think I think typically people come to to adulthood um, so 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 constrained by all of these people in their life who have who have steered them. Yeah, the outward expectations. Yep, maybe. yep, yep. That uh, that they've they've never actually sat down. To dream, hmm. and, and and the reason the reason that I know that this is critical is because there's been a book written about about deathbed sayings mm -hmm. of people, and by far and away the number one is, I wish I had had the courage to do what I really wanted to do. Hmm. That's the number one. Okay, that that brings up. I've asked my kids through the years uh, various times, how can I be a better dad to you? And there's this recurring theme, which is always painful, which is you don't encourage us enough. Yeah. And I've tried to get better at that. I'm still not. Fortunately, my wife is, so we balance each yeah, other yeah, out there. Yeah. But yeah. Um, those dreams that I think a lot of people have, mm -hmm. so if we're, if we're gonna tie it all into this, this seed bed that's there, if these dreams are these seeds that are inside of us, I think oftentimes it's, it's parents and other adults who maybe see that potential in kids and they can create uh, let's use the idea of watering. They can water those seeds and right. give them some nurturing that could bring more out of kids than really we're getting yeah. now. Cre create a habitat, a habitat that allows the expression uh, to come out. Yeah. Let's move to the third uh, Salatin insight that had an impact on me, and that's the idea of monocultures. Uh, tell us what a monoculture is and why they're problematic. Well, monocultures are, are where you have just one plant or one animal, uh, in a, in a landscape. So obviously the most common in the U.S. right now would be, you know, corn and soybeans, corn or soybeans, or a, you know, or a factory, a factory farm, a, a, a Tyson chicken house, a, a, a beef feedlot, mm -hmm. uh, anything where you have, um, where you don't have an integrated, diversified mosaic of other beings mm -hmm. in it. Uh, so it's so it's essentially a one being, a one being scape landscape, a one being scape. Okay, right. and the problem with it is, of course, a well, there's no ecosystem that is a monoculture. Right. None. None. Why? Well, because that's how nature balances it out. I mean, the you know the frog eats the bugs, the bugs eat the plants. Uh, the, you know, the plants, uh, uh, you know, keep the oxygen cycle going. You know, there's this, this tremendous, uh, there's this tremendous, uh, yes, yes, um, uh, synergy and symbiosis that comes with the diversity. So, I mean, for me, it's just enough to know 
nature never has a monoculture. So, right. so if you're going to plant green beans, do them in, in small clumps, like a, like a quilt. So we have a little, a little group here, then we have some strawberries, then we have some nasturtiums, and then we have some cabbage, as opposed to the San Joaquin Valley of California, where you have, you know, uh, 500 acres of strawberries right. uh, that is fumigated and blah, blah, blah. What happens is that when you have that level of concentration of one thing, it truly incentivizes pathogenicity. Hmm. Because you have a concentration of just one thing, you're, you're in, and you're in, you're inviting a particular pest to yes, come in there yes, as well, yes. and, and to have epidemic, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah or, conditions. Yes, uh, there's uh, what 98% of bugs are actually good, 2% are bad, and so there's always this uh, this tension, right? But you know, uh, between the good and bad things, bugs, and if you if in a monoculture. There's no environment or habitat to develop a competing species mm -hmm. that will check the proliferation of the one that Predator wants to attack. Bugs. Yeah, the one that wants to attack whatever is is the dominant thing, and uh, and, and so then you have this proliferation. So apply this uh, to to our own lives. Where does that principle of monoculture? sneak up on us and just the, the living of our lives. Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, to me, the most obvious one quickly is the, the gifts, the gifts, the very gifts in a church, hmm. uh, in a fellowship group. And if, if a fellowship group becomes so narrow in, in view that it has no room for anybody else, it's easy to actually get off on a tangent, to actually, actually, you know, develop into a cult, develop into mm -hmm. an unhealthy, um, an unhealthy situation. So any, any complex community of people yeah. where you get too many of one sort of gift, well, you end up with problems. I mean, well, goodness. I mean, look at marriage. I mean, sure. the differences between men and women. Sure. I mean, I know it's not culturally acceptable right now to, to, to suggest that there are differences, but there are some really big differences between men and women. I mean, on, on, on a macro scale. Sure. And so the fact that uh, God didn't see healthy that Adam would be alone, but he would have a help meet that they would be helpful for each other. I mean, Teresa, I mean, and I, so many times when I'm discouraged, she's not. And when she's discouraged, I'm not. How many times? That's gotten us through so many, so many absolutely, things. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and so the, the complementarity, the complementarity of man, woman, of the of the different uh, gifts in a in a body of believers for for them to all exercise in business to have to have people who are engineer types art types introverts extroverts right um, all those things they're they, they bring they bring richness they, they do they bring richness and I would say if I could one of my uh, chapters in one of my books uh, recently uh, you, your successful farm business is all about reading reading eclectically. Mm -hmm. You know, I read stuff that probably conservative Christians would be would disown me. Right. Okay, but but I think it's good mm -hmm. to see how somebody frames an argument. For example, God God is a woman, or mm -hmm. or or I mean, or, or Gaia um, that um, you know the Earth is actually a living, thinking, breathing organism. As you can imagine, I run in a lot of liberal circles sure. with my, you know, Well, that gives you conversance with yes. those communities, which yes. is important. Yes, and, and, and I, I think reading eclectically is, is really good. And, and in fact, it's really saved, my, saved myself several times when I've gotten in debates with chemical industrial-minded folks in the food and farming sector. And I've read their gurus but they haven't read mine, and it's wonderful. That's not fair. It's wonderful in a discussion <laughs> That's right. to be able to quote their gurus right. to them. I'm aware of yours, and I can say, are you aware of mine? Well, no, I've never heard of, you know, whatever, Raymond and Dorothy Moore in the homeschooling movement. Oh, I've never heard of, um, you know, uh, Sir Albert Howard, mm -hmm. uh, the godfather of composting. And then I can just smile and say, I've taken the time to read your gurus, I think you'd find it interesting to read a couple of mine. Yeah, in some ways, it's, it's honoring the, the the image of God that we would believe is is has been placed on on all human beings. Um, there's something there that we can resonate with. There's something that we can communicate with, and 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 sometimes there are things that we have to offer each other because we're created in the image of God. 
let me turn our attention to the idea of parenting and education for a minute, because mm. it's interesting that we, we refer to other people and to our offspring uh, with gardening or plant metaphors. We say things like, he's a bad seed, or <laughs> the apple didn't far, fall far from the tree, mm -hmm. or she's really branching out, uh, they're putting down roots in the community, mm -hmm. uh, he's really flourishing. Oh. In fact, as parents, we use the term nursery as a room we prepare for a new baby, but we use the same term for a place that we go to buy plants for our gardens. Mm -hmm. um, so let's look at parenting first. What, what advice would you give uh, parents in relation to the gardening metaphor and child rearing? Oh, well, uh, yeah, that's such a good one. I would simply say I don't apologize for, for greenhouse kids. Uh, the whole idea of a greenhouse is to give them a head start in a protected environment mm -hmm. so they actually flourish when they get out and get, and get you know, mm. buffeted by the real thing. The, the greater culture out there, it really wants children at the earliest age to be exposed to, it seems like to me, everything that's out there. Sure. All right. And, and, but as a parent, uh, there's nothing wrong with having that that little you know cold frame greenhouse. Uh, um, hmm. It doesn't impede growth. It actually accelerates growth. Sure. So, so the whole point of a, of a of a greenhouse is not to hold them back. And so when people say, oh, you're you know you're you're sheltering their children, well. I mean, obviously that can, that can be overdone as well, certainly. Sure. There's a timing and there's, there's a, a wisdom timing, there yeah. too. But, but man, I tell you what, when we, were, when we were homeschooling our kids and, you know, quote unquote, sheltering them from a lot of things, you know, we didn't have it, we never had a TV. I just said, you know, we got greenhouse kids and I'm proud of it. And you know what? They're going to handle the world. They're going to handle things better because they're going to be stronger when they get buffeted than the ones who've been buffeted by on, by frost and by wind and by stuff when yeah. they're when they're so so tiny. I like that metaphor very much. I, I'm guessing you might have some strong opinions on the subject of education in relation to this gardening metaphor. Uh, I think it's it's interesting that the first experience most kids have educationally is something we call kindergarten, which is literally German for children's garden. Uh, <laughs> what advice would you give parents about educating their children in the context of the garden metaphor? You've talked about the protective yeah. idea, but yeah. as far as what, what are you going to feed them with, you know, in that in that greenhouse? Yeah, well, you know, I, th I think generally I'm a I'm a, a visceral discovery kind of guy, and I, I really think that a lot of it is just in understanding our kids and knowing them. I mean, we had two. Uh, Daniel was a late reader. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got a little dyslexia issue, but uh, you know, we had a bunch of school teachers in our family. And boy, if he's not reading by seven, you know, I mean, you're just a failure. And of course, we, we were very early in that. We were in that, you know, 40 years ago before it got traction like it has today. And with a, with a family on both sides full of school teachers, we were under the microscope, you know. <laughs> and so I can remember early on, you know, pushing him. And then I got a hold of some Raymond and, Dor you know, better late than early and the different mm -hmm. stuff. And we just stopped. It was so... Uh, it was just terrible. And at 10 years old, he got elected to the, be a, a historian or reporter or something for the 4-H club hmm. in 4-H. And in the car coming home, he just announces from the back seat, well, I guess I better learn to read. So hmm. he got elected to this position. And in three weeks, he was reading at 10th grade level, just he was ready. The, 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 seed, the seed met the right condition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 it met the right condition. Now, yeah. our daughter Rachel, on the other hand, she was an early reader mm -hmm. and took right to it like a, like a, a duck to water and just sailed through. Uh, no, no problem there. She, and so, and so mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think a lot of this, um, some of the application is in just appreciating that you raise a you raise a tomato plant really different than a squash plant really different than a beet. Yeah, we're back to the monoculture idea. I yeah. know I've lamented over the years that God didn't give me uh, seven children that all had the same personality because <laughs> if if I would if I could have figured out what the first one yeah and then if the second one had been Just the same cookie cutter I would have I, but, but yeah. that's not what God chose to do and you know, I, I say that facetiously obviously because I really appreciate what each one has brought to the family but there really has been a reinventing the wheel yeah. with each one right and we've learned new things with the, we've been humbled with each one yes, yes. Um, which is good yeah, yeah. Um, we've had to slow down you know yeah. all these principles have come to bear right but each one is 
has been so unique. Yeah, I mean, some are verbal and some yeah. are more sight oriented. I mean, we, we now we now know that. And you know what's interesting? We know this, and yet everything in the I'll just say the institutional education system is geared around cookie cutter formulas. And that's why 80% of remedial education is spent on boys because boys' brains are not developing at six and seven like little girls. Boys' bodies are developing. Girls' brains are developing at six and seven. So they accelerate academically. Boys in the same situation, they're fine if you wait till nine or 10. This is the whole point of better late than early. Mm. And they'll do fine. But do we have enough faith in our kids that they're endowed with enough curiosity to not, now I'm sound like this whole, you know, really unschooling and all that business, but, but I, um, well, they, I, 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 each I, of those I, approaches has it's, it's an element of, yeah, yeah it's yeah. got an element of wisdom to it. An element yeah. of wisdom and an element of extremity sure. as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we don't just turn the kids loose and say, well, yeah, go stick your figure kid. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't just go figure it out. But we also don't, don't have to be rigid about it. And, mm-hmm. and if they're not reading at this level at seven, I'm a failure or eight. And I watch parents, even homeschooling parents, go through the angst of, of well, you know, well, well, Betty did this at, seven and Johnny isn't doing it yet. He's nine and oh, I'm such a failure. And they go through all this angst. Yeah. And, and that's just, that's a microcosm really of a bigger, uh, even a bigger issue there that uh, Rich Carl guards, the publisher of Forbes magazine. I just read a mm. book by him called mm. uh, Late Bloomers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's looking at just the developmental process of some, a lot of times young, young men um, who don't really start to figure things out until their their 20s and sometimes these late bloomers you know what's 40s and 50s before their their productive <laughs> years come and a lot of that is because of all the things that we've talked about where right. the conditions for their particular gifts the the educations that they've received uh, the discouragement from various people along the way all sort of create this situation where it, it takes them a long time to figure out really yeah. what they're good at but sometimes there's some brilliant things that come yeah. out yes in, in the 40s and 50s. Yeah, so yeah. there's a that's yeah. kind of a microcosm of yeah yeah they, they aren't they aren't uh, they aren't Bill Cody at um, at 12 years old carrying U.S. mail on a Pony Express that's through right. hostile Indian country. That's right. I mean, there are those types. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. That's hard to believe. Um, I want to read this uh, this quote. Get you to come on comment on it from uh, Friedrich Frubel. You've probably heard it. Friedrich Frubel was was the one who created the the concept of kindergarten. Mm-hmm. He said. Let us protect our children and let us not allow them to grow up into emptiness and nothingness, to the avoidance of good hard work, to introspection and analysis without deeds, or to mechanical actions without thought and consideration. Let us steer them away from the harmful chase after material things and the damaging passion for distractions. Let us educate them to stand with their feet rooted in God's earth, but with their heads reaching even into heaven there to behold truth. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I thought you would like I, that one. I, 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 want, I wonder if that's on any kindergarten in the school system in the U.S. I, I doubt I, it, but that's the man who I mean, coined I mean, the term. It's, it's got God in it. You know, you, yeah. can't, you, can't, you, can't, have a, you can't have God in, in a, a classroom. I mean, that sounds like an incredibly lofty, uh, lofty goal. I thought and, it was. I mean, it starts with the idea of protection. I like your greenhouse mm-hmm, uh, metaphor mm-hmm. as well. But that whole, that whole gamut of, you know, feet on the ground... Uh, dirt under the fingernails, uh, the chores like you mentioned, which mm-hmm. the farm life allows people to do. Mm-hmm. How do you, you know, most of the people who are going to hear this are probably going to be people in the suburbs or cities, urban areas. How do they take advantage of the life as a garden ideas when they're so far from that? What would you suggest? It's a, it's a great question, one that I get asked a lot. I mean, we are, we are human. Uh, human, the basis of human is humus. I, I believe, and, and listen, I, you know, I'm not saying if you live in a city, you're corrupt. But I will venture to say that the farther we remove ourselves from humus, the harder it is to be human, to, mm. to be all that the human is. And I mean, when you, ha- when you are familiar with sheep or you're familiar with plants or sowing seed, all of the biblical, from the parables to the to the um, narrative, are richer sure. for for having knowledge of that. So, a couple of things in the city. One is 
do something that's not just pet oriented in your home. Hmm. You know, you can get you can get from for example a verma a vermicomposting kit that sits under your uh, kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. Don't use a garbage disposal. Hmm. Throw your stuff in this little verma. You know, it's it's the size of a of a dishpan. All right, hmm. it sits under your sink, and enjoy the worms. That'd be so scary for so many people. <laughs> yeah, but it's but I mean, kids are fascinated. Yeah, I can think of some of my kids would, would be really fascinated by, by worms. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, my favorite worm story was a was a, actually a a garden to school program in California when I went and spoke, and they had a big worm bed. And the first assignment for all the kids when they came out was to bring food. And uh, so the kids would all bring, you know, they'd bring Twizzlers and Snickers bars and Cheerios and stuff. And they put them in the worm box and the teachers, you know, put in an apple and a piece of ground beef and, you know, uh, an orange in their end. Kids come back next week, they pull open the box, they pull out their Twizzlers, they pull out their Snickers bar, they pull out their, you know, stuff. And over here, the apple and the orange and the, and the, and the ground beef is gone. And the obvious, the obvious uh, uh, lesson of the day is, why would you want to eat something worms won't even eat? That's a good point. That's powerful. Okay, and so and so these are these are life lessons uh, in in the home. Um, so so do something. I mean, we, we often have pet dogs, pet cats, but in the same amount of space and for a lot less money, you could you have two chickens in in a footprint that's way smaller than a than an entertainment center. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, in, in your in your house, yeah. you know, two or three, they eat out your kitchen scraps, give you a couple of eggs, and you know what a, what a great uh, role model for teenagers. You know, yeah. chickens are the chickens get up early in the morning, <laughs> every morning happy. Should a rooster be in the, there? The, the, <laughs> Probably the, not inside no, the house. No, no, not inside the house. No, not inside the house. And uh, and and they spend all day turning trash into treasure. And as soon as it starts to get dark, they go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. What a perfect what a perfect metaphor for 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 that, that for, is a good metaphor for, 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 the, teenagers. for the teenagers. Yeah. So so you know, my point is there are things if you really want to again if you really want to participate in the in the mystery. And the object lesson of creation and all that it entails, there are things that you can do in an apartment in New York, mm-hmm. okay? Um, I mean, some people have access to a roof. You can have a, a, a hive of honeybees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are, or you could grow some plants or, or whatever. Uh, beyond that, then, I- instead of just putting attention on whatever, visiting museums and going to soccer camp and, and you know all the things that, that you do, how about putting some attention on making this connection? Mm-hmm. So do you know a farmer? Have you ever visited? Have you gone to a, a farm tour day on a farm? Have you, have you gone as a family to help a farmer clean out a horse stall, feed a pig, build a fence, weed a garden, harvest squash? I mean, I can scarcely imagine a farmer who, if you had a, a, a controlled family, <laughs> Uh, who would turn you down on on labor some requests, help, yeah. on, on, some, on some help. Absolutely. So there are things you can do in the home. Obviously, if you have a postage stamp yard, you can raise some vegetables. Uh, you could have, you know, again, a couple of chickens. Just so everyone in the family understands, A, I'm completely dependent on a biological creation that's completely beyond my comprehension mm-hmm. and often seems to have its own agenda. You know, why did this tomato plant get mildew and fall apart and this tomato plant is fine? Well, I'm not, I'm not always in control. No. And wow, that's a powerful lesson. It is. For, 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 for a, families to A know. humbling one, which is always a It good sure thing. is. Yeah, I'm not always in control. So th- those are just some, yeah, some things that, that folks can do. As you know, in my book, I I introduce children to 10 metaphors for life. Life is Mm -hmm. a garden, a game, a race, a canvas, a test, a symphony, a battle, a journey, a story, and a gift. Are there any of those other metaphors that particularly resonate with you, or is there a completely different metaphor that you feel is a good one for approaching life uh, and your own purpose at this point? Uh, I like the journey one. I mean, that's a that's a powerful one. It's you know, it's not a it's not a destination until it's over. You know, very few people are doing in their forties what they thought they would do in their when they were twenty. Mm-hmm. I I think that too many of us are becoming what we feel paranoid if we don't have it all worked out. 
Right. I got to have it worked out. You know, I got I got to have this plan. I got to have this plan. You know. But boy, I'll tell you what. You can plan to rigidity, um, to where you 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 almost make yourself sick. Well, I was going to be at this point at 28, but I'm not there. And, uh, and and to be able to take advantage of other things that come along. You know, things that that you wouldn't even have have thought of. I mean, I can assure you that where Teresa and I right are right now never even in our imagination when we were in our early 20s and starting out here. We just wanted a farm. That's all we wanted. And the tragedy was that there were so few young people making a living on a farm, on a small farm. Right. And so the world started beating a path to our doorstep. What is this? What, what's, what's the secret sauce, you know? And, and, then, and then we got, you know, we got a bigger pulpit, if you will. But it was not because we desired it had a plan for it and had a, you know, we're going to have this much money in the bank or, or, or have this whatever, you know, no, no, it just, it just. You stumbled onto it almost. And serendipitous. It's right. just, it's just, I'm quick to tell people most of the best things in my life have been completely serendipitous, but it was a confluence of good decisions that got leveraged. It's kind of like Paul Ingalls in Little House on the Prairie books. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, sometimes I think success is really spelled W-O-R-K. <laughs> right. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. You've got more energy than seems fair for one person, I'll <laughs> say that. Um, but considering the highs and lows of, of your own personal journey, if you were to give one final piece of advice to those listening about their own life journeys, mm. uh, what would it be? Yeah, it's, it's don't quit. Mm. Don't quit. The uh, the Peter Drucker learning curve, you know, that, that you come in at a certain point and then and then you always go down right. uh, on a new venture, a new whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You always go down, and then you you have to come back up. Well, that that's generally three to five years, hmm. and most people sometime in that three to five years finally give up. Yeah. And and I am quick to tell people I'm not smarter, I'm not stronger. I just think that we wouldn't quit. Yeah. We, we just stayed with it. And my goodness, when you, when you stay with something that long, you get pretty good at it. Yeah. You really get a lot better at it. I, I think, you know, there's a book about, um, about the, the decades of a man's life and earning capacity. And it's interesting that the highest decade of earning in a, ma in a man's life is the 60s. Hmm. Because it takes that long to develop the skill Right. The, the connections and the capital mm -hmm. to come together and leverage yeah. that whole life's work. The next most common is in the 70s. Hmm. And it's not until the 50s that the, you, the third the third one is in the, in the 50s. Hmm. So, um, yeah, that, that's very contrary to the sort of the, the leanings of our culture. You know, you've got all the different, uh, well, uh, Rich Carlgaard mentioned this in his, his late Bloomer's book. You know, we've got these 30 under 30 featured in, uh, all the different business magazines are 40 under 40 and it's this huge push for you know you've got to ace the SATs and all these things mm -hmm. that like if you don't do something by the time you're 30 you're a wash up and you're a failure which is you know again there are the there are the prodigies but sure. they're the exception not the rule absolutely and the yeah. rule seems to be much more of this longer development again it's the tortoise it's the tortoise not yeah. the hare it's That's the right. tortoise not the hare and and so so my advice is always I tell people just don't quit. You know, they come with, oh, well, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. Well, don't quit. Right. Just, just stay with it. And you know, you'll, you'll figure it out. That doesn't, that doesn't mean there aren't enterprise. We, we've quit enterprise. We've tried and tried and, and don't, but I'm telling you, your, your basic, if you know what, what makes your heart sing, don't quit on that. Don't quit. Joel, this has been a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule this time of year uh, for the discussion. Uh, I believe it will sow some good seed in the hearts and minds of those who hear it. And uh, so thank you for your investment in us today. Thanks for coming. And that brings to a close this episode of Seek Wisdom. For a resource page with links to all the resources mentioned in this episode, visit seekwisdompodcast.com. To purchase my illustrated children's book, A Good Life, visit your local bookstore, or buy it from your favorite bookseller online. This episode is brought to you by Pattern Media. If your business needs quality website design and maintenance, Pattern Media can help. Just visit patternmedia.us. That's patternmedia.us.
U.S. Thank you for listening. I'm Jeremiah Penn.